0: half of ariana my wife and myself for welcoming us into this special family Um, we really have felt your love and appreciate that so thank you Um, hopefully we can now this is not my subject although sometimes people wish it was this morning um we're looking at the first 11 verses of Acts chapter 1. So it's starting a new book, a new subject. And if you've got your Bibles handy, um, then turn to them. Otherwise, um, I'm going to pop some words up on the screen. So I'll just read them uh, with you. Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do And teach until the day he was taken up after he had given instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or periods that my Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus Who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. Father, we just pray for your help this morning as we just enjoy those verses together and look to learn from you. We pray that you would speak to us through your Holy Spirit, make them come alive, make them effective. Challenge us, Father, correct us, and equip us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Who here doesn't like a, um, a road map? When you're starting out on a journey, or you, you have something in mind that you want to do, you like a map of some sort, is that right? Yeah, that's good. I suppose in the car we rely on GPS, we get Google out, which isn't always that great, let's be honest. Um, but we like to know where we're going and the best possible route to get there. And it's great that as we're starting this new book, we've got a roadmap map. Right here in the opening verses, in verse 8, the Lord Jesus tells the disciples, look, you guys are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and then the rest of the world. That's a beautiful little potted uh, road map of the rest of the book because in the first seven chapters, we've got Jerusalem happening. Then eight and nine, it's going to be Samaria. And then we're going right out to the rest of the world. So it's no surprise that in those early chapters, we get Peter as the dominant character on display and, and Peter's at the forefront of everything that's happening in Jerusalem and going through to chapter 12. And then Paul takes over because. Paul is the one that God had chosen to speak to the nations outside of Israel. So that's pretty cool, I enjoyed that. And then the thing for me is, as we look at those verses, the whole of the Godhead is involved in this. God is going to do something radical, something completely new, something that hasn't been done before. And it says, first of all, that Jesus began to do these things, So that's the start of the journey. He began. And then it talks about the Holy Spirit coming in power to present the work uh, through the disciples. And then it talks about the Father's promise. So the entire Godhead are all involved in what's about to be unleashed here. But the thing I want to have a look at is what's changed. So the first heading that I've got up there, what's changed? What do I mean by that? Well, here is a group of disciples that not long ago were hiding away in an upper room. They were afraid, they were confused, they didn't know what to think about what had just taken place. They'd started to um, have the Lord reveal himself to them on different occasions And they're starting to make sense of some of those things, but it's all completely blown their mind. They thought that Jesus was going to set up his kingdom right then and right there. But they had witnessed him being put to death on a cross. Wow. And so they were scared for their lives and for good reason. Because the very people that were putting the Lord Jesus to death were after them too. And we remembered not long ago at Easter that Peter denied knowing the Lord three times over. Wow. And yet here they are. Jesus takes that same group, probably leaving the upper room where they were, and down the stairs. And they start to walk the streets that they had been terrified of visiting during the day. And as they begin that journey, they're looking around at everybody that could be a potential threat to them. I mean, these are the guys that showed no mercy to Jesus. But something's different. Something has changed. And, and as they walk, and they see these um, different religious people milling around in the streets, they see the crowd that was, was there chanting for the death of Jesus, They even see, perhaps, a band of the centurion guard. And this day, they are not laying a finger on them. There is nothing that can touch them. So what has changed? They are walking with Jesus, the risen Lord Jesus. Isn't that amazing? that is the difference for these guys and he is taking them through the city gate down towards the valley across the kidron brook before they climb up the mount of olives and then they look back and they they can get a beautiful vista of jerusalem What is he doing? What is Jesus doing in that moment? Why did he take that journey with them? Because what is about to happen in their lives and in their service for him needs them to go back and to revisit the areas that they felt failure in this is going to be a journey of courage for them this is transformational for them they are taking the steps into the streets where they were afraid they were taking steps to stand before people they were scared of and they were walking through streets that not long after this point they were going to be standing up and preaching the gospel And Jesus knew that. And so he takes them on this journey and he walks them with authority and with power and with courage in the very places they they didn't even want to step foot on unless it was under the cover of darkness. Isn't that amazing? Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt unable to do something? You felt that you lacked courage? I remember, and it's not on this scale Please don't get me wrong, but I do remember that we were out doing some preaching in the open air. I say, we. Oui, I wasn't. I was kind of happy to stand back and let the other guys do it. Just on the street corner, um, just preaching the gospel, and I was trying to engage with people as they walked by and, and have conversations. And All of a sudden, uh, one of the older gents there taps me on the shoulder, he says, you're next. Excuse me? <laughs> oh, no. No, thank you. No, no. It wasn't a choice, as I found out. <laughs> Boy, I was scared. And the only thing that enabled me not only to get up there and to say something, but to get those verses into my mind was God working through me. Another time, um, I had the privilege of, of working for a day with um, a guy who was involved in mission over the east side of London. It was my introduction to -to door-to-door evangelism where it took place through the letterbox. That was the only way people would engage with us. That was incredible. Boy, it was scary. I was thankful that God was with us that day. But here are these guys, and they are on a journey, and God is with them. You know, there was a time when God looked out on the earth and he said, I can see everything that's going on and it grieves my heart that I made man. Wow, what a day. And then it says, one person found favor in his sight and that was Noah. And he said, Noah, I want you to build an ark. And I want you to tell people that if they come into that ark, they're going to be saved. One man had that message. Everybody else laughed him to scorn. Everybody else ridiculed him. Thought he was a nutter. But he preached that message for God. There was another day. And... A man called Elijah was on the top of the hill, Mount Carmel. And 450 prophets of Baal stood opposed to him. One Elijah, 450 prophets. On top of that, the king and the queen were opposed to him. And the nation by that stage had rejected God. But that didn't put Elijah off. He prayed and he saw that God's message was more powerful than the enemy. There was another day when Esther got a message from Mordecai, her uncle, and said, listen, if you don't go and see the king today and plead for our case, the entire nation is going to be wiped out. But she knew that if she went in and stood in the king's presence without the invitation from him, it would almost certainly mean she would be put to death. But she said, okay, listen, you guys pray and I'll go in with God's help. And by her courage, save the entire nation that day. You see, what I'm learning is that one man or one woman and God is a majority. One man or one woman and God is a majority. Praise God. But look, I've, I want to get to the next part with you. <clears throat> Watching and waiting. So the whole thing to me really appealed to this this sense of action while they were waiting for something to happen. So these disciples, I mean they had seen some pretty radical stuff hadn't they? They'd seen Jesus uh, turn water into wine, they'd seen him walk on water, they'd seen him speak and the, the storm just calmed immediately. they seen the deaf um, well I didn't see it but they, they, they knew that the deaf could um, hear and the lame walk and so on, they'd seen some amazing things. But here they are, standing on the Mount of Olives, and all of a sudden, Jesus just starts to elevate and go up. And they're kind of looking and thinking, well, how long is this going to, is this just another one of those things, a bit of a learning exercise? What have we got to get out of this one? But he just keeps going up and up. And the cloud just envelops him and takes him gracefully up. And the cloud is is that divine token of his presence. And it's just and they they're looking and they're looking and they're going up and their necks are straining and they're going and going and can hardly see him anymore. And they're just standing there staring. What's going to happen? You get a sore neck after a while, but you wouldn't want to stop looking in case you missed anything. And then all of a sudden, what are you guys gawping up to heaven for? And there's there's a couple of angels here. Well, now what's going on? Well, there's a couple of things that these angels had. They had a message for these disciples. They said, first of all, this place is going to be pretty important in the plans of God. This is the very place that Jesus, that you have just watched go into heaven, comes again. He's going to land on the Mount of Olives. Zechariah 14.4 It's all in God's plan and purpose. He said the other thing, that there is a promise in this, that because you have witnessed him go, you will also know that he is returning that's amazing isn't it promise now as jesus went up he was taken up in glory i mean paul writes about this pretty excitedly and when he talks to timothy he said jesus was received up in glory or put it another way there was a party in heaven when jesus arrived it was his glory he had conquered death he had defeated the enemy he had thwarted all the enemy's plans he had risen again from the dead he is in glorified human form and now he is back in heaven imagine the party that was going on there and these guys had witnessed it so there's a couple of things that i learned from this firstly uh, walking With Jesus gave them the courage, and then watching where he is enabled them them to continue in that courage. So, well, what what did these disciples learn? Well, to understand that a bit better, we need to take what Luke said at the end of his gospel. Because in Luke 24, verses 50 to 53, Luke writes about this in a different way. He said that Jesus took out his disciples, as far towards Bethany, up the Mount of Olives. And then it said, he lifted his hands in blessing. And as he was blessing them, he was taken up. So he was pouring out a blessing on these disciples, and he was taking up. But what was their response? How did they feel about this? Were they scared? Were they frightened? Were they just confused? Well, Luke helps us with that. It says that they worshipped. It says that they were obedient And it says that they were full of praise. Do you know, those are really powerful things. Because worship is always the start of a work of God. Worship always starts a work of God. It's so important. It's in part of our DNA. I mean, you think... um, When God does something, what examples do we have? We think of uh, when Israel went out to Jericho and they were told to circle the city. They weren't going out with their spears up front and their swords and they were going to, you know, just sort of bash down the door. No, God sent them out with the priests at the front and they were going to go round once a day and then the last day seven times because they were singing, they were bringing worship to God, because the battle is God's, not theirs. The battle is God's and not mine. So worship is the start of any big work that God is going to be doing. But the second thing that I learned is that there is joy with obedience. Joy travels with obedience you see the disciples it says in Luke went back to Jerusalem with great joy they didn't kind of just say well that was a great thing to witness I'm just going to sit on the side of the hill and just take that in for a bit because that was something else Uh, they didn't think oh well Um, yeah, we've got to head that way, but look, it's a beautiful day. I'm going to get out and do some fishing on the way, visit, visit some friends maybe, and then circle around to Jerusalem. No, they were obedient. They went straight back to Jerusalem. And because they were obedient, they had joy in their hearts. You see, the things go together, don't they? Obedience to God and joy within And then the last thing. They were praising God. Praising God. Where? In the temple. You see, praise releases power. Praise releases power. What do I mean by that? Well, because the temple is the place of their enemies. Those religious rulers that hated them. That was the last place you would expect them to see. But Jesus had transformed them through walking with him and giving them instruction. And they were in the temple daily praising God. And as a result of that praise, the power came from God, Acts 2, through these disciples to begin this work that he had for them. I believe that God is doing a work here in a power. God is doing a work. The question is, am I prepared to be part of that work? Am I prepared to walk with Jesus, not just once a week on a Sunday morning but actively walk with him through the week? Am I prepared to keep my focus on where he is so that the things around me don't trouble me and overwhelm me? Am I prepared to worship him so that he receives the glory? Am I prepared to be obedient so that joy can fill my heart? And am I prepared to praise him In all circumstances, so that his power can flow through me and achieve his work. Father, help us. We feel like the disciples. We feel like we need your strength and your power flowing through us. We feel inadequate of ourselves, Father. We need you. As we go out into this week, Lord, pour your strength into us. Give us the courage that we've read about to speak your word to others that need to hear your message of love. Help us to see as you see and to bring you into the lives of people that need to know you too lord we thank you for sharing these things with us encourage us and equip us and help us we pray in jesus name amen
1: God sent his son, his name was Jesus. Let's stand and sing because he lives. Because we live. In Christ Lord, that. Let's not do that at all. Jeff, that message, <laughs> Jeff, that was a great message. Um, I'm so heavenly inclined, I'm of no earthly use as usual. <laughs> oh, dear. Here in the death of Christ I stand. Let's stand and sing, In Christ Alone. (laughs) In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my My life, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, When fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, Here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe. This gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin. Slay here in the death of Christ I live. There in the ground his body lay, Light of the world by darkness slain, Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again, and as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me. For I am his, and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever blot me from his hands. Till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I'll stand. It's fitting that The oldest piece of the Old Testament that we have, which dates from almost the year 700 before Christ, is a blessing. I'm going to read it to you now to close our service. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favour and give you his peace. Amen.